Romans chapter 5. Um, we're just going to do one chapter tonight because uh, I'm going to do a pretty major sidetrack when we get to one particular verse. But as we look at chapter 5, as we come to this fifth chapter of Romans, we find Paul answering uh, one of the questions that would naturally arise in the minds of those who have read his epistle up to this point. He has told us that we have been saved by the redemption that we have in Christ, the redemption that has been purchased at a tremendous price upon the cross. It delivers us from the guilt of sin so that the sin question has been settled. This means that we will not come before God for judgment, which will determine our salvation. It means that an eternal home is waiting for those who have trusted Christ. Now the question Paul will answer is, well, what about the here and now? Paul now is going to show that there are certain benefits that occur to the believer right here and now when we trust Christ. When he has been justified by faith in the redemption that we have in Christ. And actually, um, these are benefits that the world is very much concerned about and very much trying to satisfy. They're trying to find what you have and um, through different means, uh, materialism, money, um, rain, uh, name recognition of, uh, especially for most men, their identity is their job and uh, gives them some sort of meaning. But they really don't have what we're going to be getting into tonight. And we will go verse by verse. And the first benefits that we have is in verse 1 of chapter 5. The benefit of salvation, number one. I think we'll both go through about seven of them. But the first one is peace. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, giveth I unto you. Um, The peace of the Lord. Okay, so our world is turned upside down right now. And um, a lot of people have absolutely no peace at all in the middle of this storm that we're going through. Um, When the Lord says, my peace, I can't help but think of the Lord falling asleep in the middle of a storm, in a boat, and all the other disciples freaking out. Lord, Lord, save us, we're perishing, we're going down for sure. And what is the Lord doing? He's taking a nap. And that's his peace. And... um, we sing a song, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. This, this peace that I have, the world didn't give it. Uh, it's his peace and the world can't take it away. And so the first benefit because of what we've been studying thus far, as I've stated, that um, our self salvation is secure and now the natural attributes that come about for a person who knows Jesus is number one, 
we have peace. Um, Verse two, through him we also have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Number two, we have access. Men did not have access to God until Jesus Christ died on the cross. It says that when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. For those of you maybe listening live stream or here and don't understand um, the layout, the two major rooms in the temple itself was the holy place and then there was a, a large veil and behind the large veil was the Ark of the Covenant and this room was called the Holy of Holies. Um, nobody could go in there except the high priest once a year on Yom Kippur. And he had to make sure that his sins were completely cleared. He had to go through a ritual and custom to cleanse himself before he could go behind that veil. And they actually, on his garments, would put little bells. And they actually would tie a rope to his ankle. Just in case he didn't confess or do something right to the procedure for him to go behind the veil. Because if he did something wrong, he's a dead man. Because you can't, it says no man can be in God's presence and and live. So, if you didn't hear the bells (laughs) ding-a-ling-langin' and nothing was happening, they'd pull him out. Because nobody's gonna go after, go in after him, because the same thing would happen to them. So we have access. The veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. That which was deadly before, now we have direct access. And now we're told to come boldly before his throne. And this was something that the average Joe, the ordinary person, had no access to. But what Jesus did, what we read here in verse two, we now have access, how? We can go directly We don't have to go through any high priest, any person, any man um, to have our sins forgiven. And um, so number two, the benefits of salvation is we have direct access to our Heavenly Father. And this is again demonstrated by uh, the veil in the temple being rent when Jesus died. Um, Also in verse two, We read, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, In Titus, so we have hope as being the next benefit. We have peace, we have access, we also have hope. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot down Titus 2.13. It says this, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Lord Jesus Christ. The very last verses of um, 1 Corinthians 13, we call it the love chapter. And um, when it talks about the characteristics of love, it's patient, it's kind, long-suffering, all these things. But the last thing it says, three things remain. 
faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of these is love. So hope, and I just turn over a page to uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 24 and 25. For we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we have hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Um, Right now, there are more suicides being taking place around the world than in recorded history. When a person sees that he has no hope, he doesn't see any way out, he makes his own way out because he has no hope. And I got this old story that I've been using for probably 40 years as an illustration. I haven't told it in a while. And that is that um, um, pail of water, and they put a rat in it, and the rat's you know, swimming around for about a minute. And then he loses hope, and he's going to go down. And he gives up. But right before he goes down, somebody goes down and grabs him and picks him up and puts him on dry land. Then they let a day go by and they take the same rat, put him in the same bucket of water, and he's had an experience. And instead of going down, he's in there for, I think if I remember it, like an hour or an hour and a half or something like that, where before it was only a minute. What was the difference? Right before he went down, before something happened. And now he has hope that that's going to happen again. And when he was just physically exhausted and was going to go down for sure because he just didn't have any strength left, they picked him back up, put him back out. That's the difference that we have. Because no matter how difficult the storm is, um, hope is that third benefit that we have that talks about that we haven't seen here in uh, Romans eight twenty four, for we are saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what does one still hope for, for what he sees? We have this hope, I've never seen heaven, um, but I have a hope that I'm going there, and no matter how bad things get, you can't take it away from me. Again, the world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. The third one, Um, that we'll look at in verse 3 and 4 back to Romans 5 and not only that but we also glory in tribulation knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope there's a process here And um, so we have rejoicing that even when we're in trials, realizing that the Lord is allowing this trial to happen because he wants to develop a deeper, more mature walk with him. He wants us to be like him. And, um, you know, Paul will write about it later. The privilege that he was able to um, suffer the way the Lord suffered. 
and it was creating in, in Paul this character. And um, the end result of that is hope. And so we look at difficult trials as sort of the Lord um, maturing us and causing us to even triumph uh, when we're going through the, the diff- difficult times. So uh, that would be number four, one of the be- benefits of um, the finished work of the cross. Um, number five and verse five, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, here we have the this third benefit, which is love. And um, I remember the first time I read in the Bible that God is love. God is light, God is spirit, but God is love. Those three things, try to, if you could define the creator <laughs> of all things, um, the main thing that he is, is love. Turn with me to the book of Jude. It's right before the book of Revelation. In verse 20 it says, but you beloved, building yourself up, again here's the process, of your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, it says keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is love, and it, here we're exhorted to keep ourselves in the love looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. In other words, it's not about the here and now. We're just passing through. Now when I read this, this is um, um, just one chapter long, and I asked the worship team if they'd actually sing this doxology that we sang here tonight. And I want to continue on with it because it's just too rich to leave not unread. It says, On some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. And then the doxology is now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God and our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. So, um, you know, the, being a product of um, the Jesus movement and what we were all looking for was, of course, peace, the peace sign, and lo- looking for love, always coming short, always coming up empty until until we met the Lord. And then the peace and the joy and the love that we were, thought we were experiencing uh, in those days wasn't real at all. And when you find the real thing, you know the real thing, and that all those were just counterfeits. And um, so the biggest benefit and probably the most important chapter in the Bible, one of them, 1 Corinthians 13, is, is um, that of love. Let's just turn over to it quickly and read a definition. It's always really convicting when you put your name in a definition 
of 1 Corinthians 13 when it gives the definition of love. Um, Pick it up in verse four, and I'm gonna read the word love because I don't wanna put my name in there. It's too convicting. (laughs) So when we read this and you see the word love, just put your name in there as I read it. Love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up or cocky or conceited. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own is not provoked, and thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And here we have this fifth benefit, to go back to um, um, Romans 5 again. And in verse 5, we have, Uh, this mention of um, God's love given to us. Uh, This is the first time in the book of Romans that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is also mentioned. Uh, It's mentioned here for the first time. Verses six through eight. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. While we were still against him, he was finding a way to get our attention. And um, I don't think we should ever say, um, I found the Lord. No, you didn't find the Lord. He found you. <laughs> he is, he is uh, the one who does the seeking. And um, he has his means, he has his instruments, he has his people that he uses for those divine appointments. Um, I had a, a chance to, to witness to a guy today. It wasn't much, it wasn't long. I, my taillights were broken and had to be fixed and so um, I was saying goodbye to him, and I said, um, sure, it's a crazy world we're living in. And he says, you got that right. And I says, you know, there's really a whole lot more to what's going on right now than this pandemic. He says, yeah, I think so too. And I said, um, I got something out here in the truck that'll give you a completely different conviction of what's really happening in this world. And I told him a little bit about what it was, and then I gave him agenda too. I said, I think we're in uh, a biological war with China. That's what he did, he sort of, and he goes, you know, I'm th- I think we're thinking a little bit alike, so now I'm finding out he's open. So we're able to talk even a little bit more. Also gave him a, um, a copy of God of Wonders. Again, when you're witnessing the people and it's, you, you, you only have that one shot <laughs> and you take a shot to see if they're gonna shut you down or maybe they're gonna open up a little bit. If they open up, make sure you're locked and loaded. Be, be carrying a God of wonders around or in this case, agenda. I said, are you married? He goes, yeah. I says, well, your, your wife's gonna love both of these too. And he says, great, thank you very much. So 
Let's go on to verse um, uh, six through eight. The Lord demonstrating um, his love toward us while we were still sinners. Now verse nine, um, we have much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from wrath through him. So the sixth um, benefit, or the seventh I should say, is we'll be delivered from wrath. That is the wrath which is to come. Turn with me to two places. First Thessalonians chapter five. You know it well. Paul talking about Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. And it goes on to explain about the day of the Lord, the rapture of the church, so on and so forth. And talking about the day of the Lord, um, that that day should overtake you as a thief. In other words, we will be seeing a world that is so out of control that the only thing that's ever going to make it right again is if the Lord comes and makes it right again. But we also know that he owes Israel seven years according to Daniel 9, verse 27. And um, we will not know who the Antichrist is. I don't think we'll um, know because I'm 100% persuaded that we're out of here uh, before the tribulation begins. What is the tribulation? Well, it's in verse nine. Um, for God has not appointed us to wrath. What did we read in Romans? We'll be delivered from wrath. What wrath? The seven years, now I'll go to Revelation chapter six. Revelation chapter six, verse 17 says, this is after the sixth seal. He says, for the great day of his wrath has come who is able to stand. And this is something that you don't want anyone ever to go through. When you read the things um, that are in the great tribulation period, some of the weirdest stuff, the weirdest stuff in the Bible, I think the weirdest part of the great tribulation is um, um, when hell is opened up and the demon locusts come out. And they have the power not to kill, but only to hurt for five months. Their sting is so painful that people will try to kill themselves and they won't be able to die. Now just imagine that. Hanging yourself and you can't die. And that's, you gotta admit, that's pretty weird stuff. It describes these demon locusts, not only here but also in Joel, in the Old Old Testament. So this, this, this pain is gonna be so intense that people will want to escape it, but they can't for five months. The interesting thing about the five months is the last time that God judged the world was the great flood. It tells us how long the waters were on the face of the earth. And we wanna take a guess how long it was on the earth? Exactly five months. It's just a coincidence, don't worry about it. It just happens to be a coincidence. All right, so let's go back to uh, Romans 
And we left um, verse 9, saved us from the wrath that is to come. That's what he promised the church of Philadelphia. He says, I'm going to keep you from that hour of trial that's going to come upon the whole world. And I believe we're, we're predecessor would be a good word to use. In other words, some of the things that we see happening right now are predecessors to the real thing. And I think it's gonna get a whole lot worse before it gets better. There's never gonna be a new normal. We're not going back to the old ways. And it's only gonna get worse and worse and worse. More and more people are gonna die because of what's going on. And... um, so I believe we're seeing the beginning of that happening right now, so it begs a question, just how late is it anyway? We just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. Brethren, uh, there's no need that I should write you about the times and the seasons. You should know them. You'll know them as you look out in the world and you go, well, this has never happened before. Something that's affected the whole wide world. And um, I was watching the news tonight, and they're just trying to double down and scare people more and more. Oh, there's a new strain coming out now. This one's twice as bad, twice as deadly. And then the thing that broke my heart today, this is not in my notes, Governor Doyle and um, um, Walker on TV pleading with people to get vaccinated. That was on the news tonight. That's how how late it is. My wife says she's going to send Mr. Walker uh, a DV (laughs) from what we, when we had uh, J.D., um, um, do our Sunday morning and talk about the shot and virus. Uh, so uh, here in verse 10, this is number 8, and um, 10, 11, for if we are once enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received this reconciliation. So it talks about this hope, um, or this joy that we have in 10. And um, I'm quoting now Nehemiah 8, verse 10. What are the one of the benefits of having salvation? Well, joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those from whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have this joy that's unspeakable. You can't explain it to people. You can't give it to them, they have to experience it for themselves. So what have we read through so far? These are the benefits, these eight things that we've gone through are simply benefits that, that we experience because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross by faith apart from any works of our own. 12 through 14. Just Therefore, just as though one man's sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, 
death reigned from uh, Adam uh, to Moses. In other words, Moses got the commandments, the law, but uh, death was still in play because Adam sinned in the garden, and we'll be going there. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam. Then it says this, who is a type of him who is to come. Okay, this is where we're going to take a diversion. And um, what it says here is that Adam is a type of him who was to come. And I beg the question, in what way was Adam like Christ? Now, before I go any farther, I need everybody's attention. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But I'm going to... I'm going to boldly go where no man has gone before, (laughs) okay? (laughs) But before I do this, I have one question for you. Do you believe that this is the word of God and that it is inerrant and without fault even if you feel otherwise? Just ask, it's a simple question. Uh, Do you believe this book is the final authority on all issues and subjects that pertain to life. So just answer that question yourself. And and the reason I'm doing that is because I'm going to talk on a subject right now that's going to rub the feminist movement really the wrong way. Are you ready? Let's go back to the book of Genesis. Adam is a type of Christ. Well, how is he a type of Christ is going to be the question. Go to Genesis chapter 3. And you know the story. Um, man was able to eat of all the um, that was in the garden, except um, verse three. We're introduced to um, the serpent. Verse 2 says, And a woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the, in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You won't die, for God knows the day that you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Then their eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves covering. God said, don't do it. Eve did it anyway. And um, now the consequences for their disobedience. We go over to verse 16, which tells us the consequences for the woman would be this. I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception and in pain you shall bring forth children. So God told them to be fruitful but the um, labor and the pregnancy was never intended to be a, a painful event. But because of their sin, the Lord is now saying, here's, you're gonna go through Um, pain when you have children. That was the first um, consequence. 
in pain you will bring forth children. And then it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now I'm going to give you two possible interpretations for what's being said here. And I'm I'm not going to be dogmatic on either one of them. But I think it's implying where it says here, um, to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband. Um, That simply is the way that there's this um, desire that a woman has to want to have a husband. Others take a viewpoint which I lean towards because of the verse that follows it, which says, but he shall rule over you. So that would imply that part of the curse that's in a woman along with pain in pregnancy is this natural desire to be over the man. But then it says, but he is going to be over you. Now the consequence for the man uh, Adam, um, and he said, Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. So let's make a distinction here. Eve was deceived. Okay, she was deceived. Adam was not. Uh, he knew what he was doing. Uh, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. I told you don't do it. She did it, and now you're going along with it. She was deceived. I believe as soon as she ate of that fruit, something happened. I believe they were clothed in light, just my own personal guess. And when she came home that night, the light was gone. And he realized that she had sinned. And um, here's where it says, because you listen to your wife. And she goes, here, honey, eat this. And where it says Adam is a type of Christ in Romans chapter five, here's how I believe this is what it means. I believed he loved Eve so much. He knew she was dead spiritually. Oh, still alive in the flesh, still walking around. But the glory was gone. God's presence was gone. And they were looking for fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Well, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived And in the same way, um, he did it of his own free will. You know that Jesus Christ died for you while you were still in your sins of his own free will? He really didn't want to, remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane? He says, Lord, if there's any other way that you can save mankind except by drink of the cup, that was the term that he used, could say eat of the fruit. That's how I believe Adam is a type of Christ. He loved you so much that he was willing to die. And that's where I see um, um, his punishment. Now here's what's interesting today. As we, as we get into this, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2 because I want to back up with scripture what I just said. Uh, 1 Timothy 2, 9 through 15. All right, in like manner also, that the woman should adorn themselves in modest apparel with a propriety and moderation, not with the braiding of hair or gold or pearls or, or costly clothing, but which is proper for a woman's profession, godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission. 
For I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. Then we go to this explanation why. For Adam was firm, formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Timothy is verifying what we just talked about. Eve is um, um, not permitted to do certain things, to have authority over to man. Um, Let's go to the next one. As far as following this train of thought, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm building up on something here. 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, I'll read verses 1 through 12. Paul says, Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the traditions as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ and the head of woman is man and the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or professing having his head covered dishonors his head and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head covering dishonors her head and that is one and the same as her head was shaved. From a woman is not covered, let her also be shaved, but it is shameful for a woman to be shaved, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head since he is an image and glory of God, but the woman is in the glory of men. For man is not from woman, but woman is from man. Remember, Adam was created from the dust of the earth, but Eve came from uh, one of the ribs of Adam. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman was created for a man. And it goes on to say, uh, through verse 12, for as the woman was formed from the man, even so the man also through the woman, but all things are from God. Well, it sure doesn't sound like um, um, women are equal to men here. Uh, Let me quote Galatians 3 lest you misunderstand what's being said here. Clearly, there's a difference of authority and order. And we just read it here. But then it says in Galatians 3, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither is there slave or free, neither is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't love the woman any more than he loves the man. But clearly there is an order here. Let me put it in this term for any of uh, you and why it's a concern for me today and what I've seen happen and how they're trying to demean fatherhood. This Sunday is Father's Day. And it's like a Father's Day I've never seen before because they're calling them alternative characters teachers or whatever instead of calling them dad or even being a father and um, in the military let's use the marines for an example ask this question 
Do you think that the Lord loves a general in the Marines any more than he loves a private? What do you think? You think he loves a general more than the private? No. Um, uh, There's neither male nor female, slave or free. God loves, he's no respecter of persons. But imagine you're in a family unit now. But let's compare it to a military unit. And everybody's a general. How do you think that army's gonna operate? I think I'm the general here. And no, I think I'm the general here. If anybody has been in the Marines, you'll know the first thing that they do when they get you in the Marines is they break you down. And um, um, then they build you back up. But they let you know that you're a private and that your commanding officer is your CO. He's your commanding officer. But again, unless I be misunderstood, God does not love the general more than he loves the private. He doesn't love the husband any more than he loves the wife. But in a family structure, there has to be a final word that comes down. Say you're having a disagreement or an argument with your husband or your wife, and you simply can't reconcile it. Well, honey, the Bible says I gotta submit to you. So, I personally, she's keeping it inside. I think you're wrong, but <laughs> if that's your call, you're the head of the house. You know how politically incorrect that statement is that I just made? Have you noticed what's happened since the feminist movement started? How they left being carers and takers at home um, and they've gone out into the workforce. And um, today that's tragic because the way our school systems are set up and what they're teaching. I don't know how any Christian can have any child go to a public school these days with the curriculum that's in there. Okay, again, unless I'm misunderstood, I realize that some women have to be in a workforce just so that the mortgage can be paid. Is everybody tracking with me? But if you have the choice and the resources are there and you're just out on the workplace and you're sending your kids to school rather than homeschooling them, um, um, I think the scriptures are clear. Now I'm just gonna zero in on one particular area and that is women in the pulpit, okay? I told you I was gonna go boldly where no man was gonna go. Um, Titus 2, 1 says, but as for you, speak the things which are proper of sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith and love and patience. And the older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanders, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the younger women, all right, you, the older women who are older in the Lord, teach the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. That's what the Bible says. That's why I asked you earlier, do you believe this is a final authority? Well, here the Bible is saying that the woman's real role is to teach the younger women how to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, says homemakers, building a home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that uh, the word of God may not be blasphemed. And um, uh, since the, the feminist movement began, by the way, Mary wrote a track on it. There was only one left. 
Otherwise, I'd have it out tonight on this whole subject. It's called feminism. And basically, it's a woman just standing there, and behind her is a train wreck. It's just a train wreck. It's a tra- uh, cars all just in a mess. That's the cover. And we'll get some, some printed up. All right. So um, they can't um, be in the pulpit um, nor have authority over a man, according to 1 Corinthians 11. So now I'm going to name names. Female preachers. This is not a gray issue. This is black and white. The scriptures are absolutely clear that there should not be women teachers. By the way, did you know that there was no woman disciples? Did you ever notice that? When it got to the deacons, there were no woman deacons. Do you know that when they got to um, angels, do you, not, do you know there's no female angels? They're all male. And so was the structure in the early church. Well, what about equal rights? And um, um, you're making it sound that um, men are better than women. Remember I warned you <laughs> what the scripture says that a woman is not to teach or have authority over a man. All right, here we go. Beth Moore. She teaches from the pulpit. Do you know that she's from Green Bay, Wisconsin? Joyce Myers, Paula White, Joni Lamb, uh, founder and CEO of Daystar TV Network, Lisa Bevery, Lori Baker, that's Jim Baker's wife, uh, Juanita Baum. Also, numerable smaller churches have husband and wife as co-pastoring together. The Methodists, Episcopalians, the Church of Christ, and uh, ELCA, E-L-C-A, all have ordained women in the pulpit. What I'm holding up here is an article I just pulled off the internet today, and it's Willow Creek, male and female pastors to co-lead Willow Creek megachurch. When Hybels stepped down because he had to, uh, they replaced him with um, male and female pastors to co-lead at, uh, down in, in Willow Creek. Then we have Saddleback, which is the equivalent on the West Coast to what we would have here in um, Willow, Willow Creek. Um, Saddleback Church just ordained three women as pastors. The Southern Baptist Convention says only men should be. So... Um, it's one of those Bible studies where I'm going to name names and, and get, uh, let's go back to verse um, five, unless we get too far off track. Well, what about Mary Danielson getting up and um, doing prophecy updates? And uh, when we first started doing it and we talked about it, I said, there's, there's nothing wrong with, women teaching women as long as it's not from a pastoral perspective in teaching the word. Mary never gets up here and gives you a Bible study. Well, she'll do it to other women and that's perfectly appropriate that women teach other women. That's why we have women's retreats. 
guys are not allowed, <laughs> okay? Um, but I think I've made my, my point and it's clear and it might be one of those things that is very politically uncorrect today because of the, of the feminist movement. But I think it's destroyed the family in a, in a big part. So when we read in Romans 6 verse 14 that Adam is a type of him to what was to come, how was he a type? Well, it was again Eve that was deceived and it was Adam who of his own free will loved Eve so much that he was willing to die for her. And they lived to be like in the 900s or something like that. Longevity of life was in play. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by one man's offense many died, okay, because Adam died, now it's in your blood, and you can't get it out. Sin is in your veins. You were born into it. It says, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to many. I want to point something out here. One man, Adam, brought death to the entire world. But then it says, one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to all. Is that what it says? No, it says it abounds to many. Why the clarification? Because he's not going to force you to come to him. Like Adam, you have to, of your own free will, exercise it. And that's why it's not to all, but it's to whoever calls upon him. Whosoever, you're a whosoever, calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Does everybody call on the name of the Lord? No. Matter of fact, it says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many will be that find that Broadway, but narrow is the gate, and few that will make it through that narrow gate. Verse 16, and the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, and here it is again, this is something that you have to accept, which came for many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more these who received abundance of grace of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense, and this is now Paul wrapping up chapter five, we have a therefore. We've gone through all the benefits Um, We explained why um, Adam was a type of Christ and the consequences that resulted from that. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift comes to all men. It should be, is available to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Um, I would like to close the study tonight with asking the question, do you really believe this is all inspired word of God? Everything we talked about tonight? And remember I told you that um, even if it conflicts with other strong feelings you might have, what we simply laid out tonight in in this study and what I wanted to bring to the forefront is um, the women in the pulpit, it's not a, a gray area like I said before. It is clear. And um, I've given some of the names. And usually when I do a study like this, I get emails. I got one last time I did a study like this that said, you said that Joyce Meyer was a prosperity teacher. And I love Joyce Meyer. And whenever she's around, I go and watch Joyce Meyer because I really think she's a great teacher. And I I don't respond to those emails because it just gets back and forth if you do that. But all you have to do is just Google Joyce Meyer and uh, ask to see a picture of her $8 million house. I mean, that should pretty much settle the, the issue right there. And so, that's it. It's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, that's because she's a prosperity teacher, much less a pastor, too. So if you were Joyce Meyer, Fran, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings tonight. Not really. <laughs> Let's stand. We'll close the word of prayer. Lord, it's one of those studies tonight that as we um, consider the subject matter and um, how you have ordained and established um, leadership's role and, and men and men only being behind a pulpit, um, that's what you've called us to do. And yet today, Lord, we see uh, the church is weak and it compromises in this area, and as a result causes many to stumble, and they wonder why the scriptures say one thing, and yet they do another. Lord, for those of us that may have emotional attachments to maybe favorite women in ministry today that are behind the pulpit, it may be hard for them to hear. But again, as we stated earlier, Your word is the final authority in all these issues. And we thank you because the world is always changing. And what we love so much about you is what you declared about yourself, that you're Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that we have the confidence in your word that it's not gonna change, that you laid it out and... um, Uh, You said that you are God and you change not. In this ever-changing world we live in, we thank you for the stability of you being the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen.